0: In the Civil Rights Act of 1968, America does move forward. And the bell of freedom rings out a little louder.
1: Hi there, this is A Little Louder, a podcast for wonks, housers, and rabble rousers, where we talk about fair housing, community development, and how we can use these issues to build people power and work toward equity and justice. I'm Christina Rosales.
2: I'm John Henneberger.
1: This is episode 10.
2: That's fantastic, Christina. Who would have thought we would have lasted 10 episodes?
1: Thanks, everybody, for listening to us for 10 episodes. We hope to bring you many more. So today, we have a a pretty jam-packed episode, and we're talking about a, a pretty serious issue. The US Department of Housing and Urban Development last week proposed a rule that would essentially force families of mixed immigration status out of subsidized housing. To start this episode, we are going to explain the proposed rule and current law as it stands, We're talking to people on the ground who we think have an interesting perspective on the HUD rule. We're going to talk to City of Austin Housing Authority Executive who would be faced with the task of forcing people out of public housing if this rule were to be implemented. We're also talking to a legal services group in Texas that is in the process of letting uh, mixed status families know about their rights before this rule is implemented.
2: I think we... Both agree, Christina, that we thought that Secretary Carson was going to be a low-key HUD secretary, and he has relatively been that, with the exception of endorsing some of the administration's dramatic budget cuts to HUD and gutting the fair housing rule. But it's been a while since we've heard any really major shakeups in HUD policy, and certainly last week with this proposed rule on mixed-status immigration families— the Secretary really has poured lighter fluid on the fire.
1: Yes, it's a very troubling rule that the that the administration has proposed, and so we would like to take some time to explain it.
2: So Christina, this, as you know, has to do with the most controversial issue in the country today, which is immigration. And HUD has a long established policy that's pretty much kept a lid on the controversy around immigration status in people who rent uh, affordable housing under various HUD programs. And we're talking Section 8, public housing, project-based assistance, housing for the elderly and the disabled. And basically it works out to this. The administrations in the past have made a decision that that HUD should not be providing subsidy to people who are not legally present in the United States but it also recognized that families often had what what we call now mixed status meaning that there are some members of the household who are have legal status citizenship or legal residence in the United States but in many cases families will have other members who are not legally present in the United States so what huds policy has been is to say to people if you're Not if you don't have legal status as a resident, that you have to pay the full unsubsidized rent in the HUD apartment that you lease, but that anyone who is legally present in the country can qualify for the HUD-assisted housing the way all people, all citizens, all people who are legal residents can qualify. So it basically says pay your share, pay the full share of the cost of your rent if you're not legally present in the country, and that's worked for a number of years without, with very little controversy, I have to say there's it's it's not a huge percentage of households who fall into this category uh, nationally. I've seen a number that it may be around fifty thousand in the probably hundreds or if not million of HUD subsidized uh, people in the United States, um, so. This is a small fragment, maybe 5%, maybe at top end in uh, some states like 7% of the population. But it, on the one hand, it was deemed wrong to deny, like children who are legal residents, an ability to have a safe, decent, sanitary home. And it's managed to work, I think, in the benefit of families. Families haven't been broken apart and the like. But that all changed last week when HUD Secretary Carson announced... A whole new approach.
1: So the the recently proposed rule would then force families out and again these are mixed status families and HUD's own analysis says that something like 55,000 children who are U.S. citizens and who are eligible for housing benefits would face eviction under the proposed rule.
2: And HUD's also calculated, based on the the data that they've collected, that there are 25,000 mixed income households, the type of households where somebody's legally present and somebody's not. So it's not a large number, but it's a number that's enough people to where it's going to be a significant change in the lives of, of the families that are affected, certainly.
1: So, HUD is claiming that they're proposing this rule out of concern for the long wait lists at nearly every city's uh, public housing authority. So wait lists sometimes are five years long in in a lot of cities, and and they they don't open. you You have to put your you have to win a lottery to put your name on the waitlist. So these wait lists are very long. And HUD is saying that if they evict mixed status families out, that it would open, some spots on housing authority waiting lists.
2: And that's something that can actually be tested. And in fact, the HUD itself has done the calculations and looked at the data on the individual households that are involved and come up with some conclusions that we'll talk about in just a minute. And there is a HUD staff analysis of 15, 16 pages that's well worth reading if you're really interested in this issue. And if you want to be engaged in this discussion on an informed basis, look at the facts, look at the numbers, look at HUD's rationale for making this decision and form your own opinion.
1: So according to the HUD staff analysis, which we will link in the show notes so that you can read, uh, there are a few possible cases for mixed status families and, and three different cases really. So Households with ineligible children and eligible parents, their choice or likely outcome, HUD says, is that they would terminate the housing assistance. The other case could be that households with eligible children and ineligible parents, they would also have to terminate their housing assistance. And that's about 70% of the share in HUD-subsidized housing. The third case is that households with ineligible other adults, so a spouse or a grandmother or something, and eligible immediate family, they could continue housing assistance if the ineligible members left the unit. And that's about a quarter of the families in subsidized housing currently.
2: We all acknowledge that this first alternative, that family, in essence the family moving out, is going to cause a hardship on low-income people. The average income of a household uh, in mixed status According to HUD, is $18,000 yearly income. So with that type of income, if you don't have subsidized housing, you are almost certainly going to live in overcrowded or substandard housing or a homeless shelter. The other alternative is equally bleak, which is that it's family separation. It's like if mom is a citizen and dad isn't and the kids are, then it says basically you break the family up. The father moves out and can't live in the, in the unit anymore. The average income of a mixed-status family is $18,000 a year. The average income of a, of a family where everyone is a legal citizen is $14,000 a year. So the mixed-status families, everybody who's not a documented resident in the United States, is paying the full rent, so the housing authority is collecting more money. If you remove all of those families from subsidized housing, then the housing authority collects less money, which means that the there is less the housing authority has to maintain uh, existing housing or to rent uh, to provide vouchers to provide additional units of housing for low-income people. And this is this is really kind of, uh, it, I can say it is counterintuitive, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that HUD itself concludes that this will have the effect of actually decreasing the, the number of affordable housing units that are available for low-income families in the United States.
1: The other s- summary of costs that I would want to point out is that the moving costs for the families and the eviction costs that housing authorities would be uh, paying total, it's between 13 and $17.4 million. HUD's own analysis finds that there are alternatives that would be uh, more cost effective and honestly, probably less cruel. So one of those is to grandfather the mixed status families that would be that are already in subsidized housing, grandfather them in and make this a proposal moving forward that would impact only new uh, applicants. And HUD estimates that there's a turnover rate of mixed status families of 10%. So gradually, it would be the case that in in subsidized housing, effectively, there would be no more mixed status families if that's what HUD would want to do. The other economic impact that I think we should consider here is the impact of homelessness and trauma that this creates in families and in our communities. This doesn't end up saving HUD any money, and it actually harms people. And I don't have an economic dollar amount to put on this issue, but when students are destabilized, they don't do well in school. And if they don't do well in school, then their future is probably in jeopardy. Depending on how long these families struggle, you just never know. And then homelessness, the impact it has on a worker's productivity, on their ability to contribute to society, which they had been doing. So these are all costs that eventually we're going to have to pay as a country and as a, as communities around the country.
2: And there are costs that we've acknowledged in affordable housing uh, for a long time. Uh, we've moved to a model in homelessness of housing first. Um, we We've recognized that the cost of people being homeless to society in terms of uh, lack of human productivity, in terms of emergency room visits, in terms of police costs, in terms of all of the all the above, is far greater than it is the cost of actually housing people. And we're not talking about here, let me make this clear, we're not talking about just housing persons who are undocumented. We're talking about housing mixed status families. So we're talking about housing families with children who are U.S. citizens and families that have some adults that are U.S. citizens because one or two members of the household don't have proper status. So we're undoing the very important and very costly lessons that we've learned to apply to the homeless solution and re-establishing that uh, for these mixed-status families.
1: Now that we've explained the, the ins and outs of the analysis and the policy itself, we wanted to turn the mic over to some community members here in Texas. So we'll be talking to Mike Gerber, who is CEO of the Housing Authority of the City of Austin, and Mike Roth, who oversees the housing operations and policy. We'll also be talking to Elizabeth Almanza, who works for a legal services provider for immigrant families called American Gateways, and she'll talk about how this impacts the families that she has been working with. Okay, on the line, we have Mike Gerber and Michael Roth with the Housing Authority of the City of Austin. Hi, good afternoon.
2: And, uh, Christina, we ought to note that Mike Gerber is a winner of the prestigious Texas Hauser Award for his work as executive director in a formal, former role of the Texas Department of Housing and Community Affairs.
1: A true Hauser.
2: A true Hauser.
1: Why don't you explain to us uh, what a housing authority does?
3: So the housing authority of the city of Austin, also uh, affectionately referred to as HACA, Is really the housing social safety net for Central Texas. We serve here in the city of Austin uh, nearly 19,000 individuals a day uh, who depend on our our programs and services. Uh, We do some other things as well, and I'll touch on that in a moment. But at our core, we have 18 public housing properties, most in uh, the north, most in in northeast and and south Austin, Um, and and we provide uh, 1,838 units of Sort of traditional uh, public housing. These units are apartments. Some are scattered site homes, but most are uh, in apartment complexes. They really are uh, housing uh, of last resort for 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 families who, uh, all too often, have uh, nowhere else to go to find affordable living opportunities. And in, in our public housing, we have uh, 4,500 individuals who are living in those those 1,800 units. We also operate the Section 8 program for the city of Austin, which is um, or or it's been renamed the, the Housing Choice Voucher Program, but so many people still know it as, as Section 8. Uh, that program serves about 5,300 uh, uh, families uh, here in the city. We 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 give folks a a voucher uh, a ticket, and they go out onto the open market to try to find a place to live. And uh, that voucher has a value attached to it based on the family's income. And we provide a, a portion of the of the of the rent to help that family uh, find and afford, to be able to afford a a safe and decent place to live. Unfortunately, there's all, far too few uh, uh, landlords who are accepting Section 8. We need more, but we do provide that program. We also have a program that uh, provides about 450 vouchers to uh, veterans, uh, chronically homeless veterans who are in need of uh, uh, housing opportunity as well. So it's a it's a Section 8 like voucher program intended exclusively for for veterans, and it comes coupled with supportive services. So in those two programs, we're sur- and, and in the Section 8 program, and in, in, in that veteran-serving program, we're, we're hitting about 19,000. And our public housing program, we're, we're hitting about 19,000 people a night. Uh, all of our programs, with um, you know, with intensive services, to try to help our residents, uh, you know, achieve self-sufficiency. But we know that many residents, uh, you know, won't be able to. But even still, uh, we try to get them on the path, and we do that through job training programs, uh, educational programs. Uh, and health and wellness programs, because if we can connect residents to 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 you know, any one of those three, we know we're going to make a substantive difference in their in their in their lives. We see lots of families that are really uh, working hard and are trying to get to a better place, and uh, are glad are, are grateful for public housing for a period of time, with the goal of moving out and stepping and stepping out.
1: So, Mike. It sounds to me, just by hearing all of these programs and, and the commitment to ensuring that families have a path to self-sufficiency, that HACA is, is trying to create stable stable homes and ensure that families have stable lives uh, while they're participating in this programming.
3: It's, it's really the core of what we do. We, um, you know, most people who come to work with our agency are, are frightened and anxious, uh, and our goal is to, try to to try to reduce that dramatically make people feel and know that they have a safe, decent, and affordable place to live. Again, people don't work a, a, or achieve in, a, in an environment of fear, and we, we really work hard to build uh, you know, inclusive, um, holistic communities where people can, can find opportunity and, and, and thrive.
1: So last week, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development proposed a rule um, that has not been adopted or implemented yet. It is just proposed at, as of this point to evict families with undocumented immigrants in the households um, who are living in housing that is subsidized. So it seems as though this is targeting mixed status families. So those are families with one or two citizens in the family and and maybe somebody who is undocumented. Michael, um, can you explain what that rule means to you all and the programming uh, that you have in place?
4: Starting from where Mike left off, that, you know, stability is such a key key part of being able to help those families on that pathway to self-sufficiency. And uh, this, at the core what this proposed rule will do will completely undercut that stability, um, not only for the families that have individuals inside their, in their family units that are not uh, with legal status. But even even those who are immigrant families with legal status because as we know there's this fear and the, the rumors and the, the misunderstandings of the rule and the proposals that that also spread out around there and it creates a lot of fear even among groups and families that wouldn't be directly affected by this rule. Uh, the day-to-day interactions with residents uh, it, it changes the, that dynamic from now. You know, instead of being an agency that's here to provide assistance and and steer and and direct people towards paths of self-sufficiency, they now potentially are going to be viewing us as the ones who are going to be implementing a rule that's going to get their family members evicted from housing. And it changes the whole dynamic of what we're doing.
1: It puts you all in a position that it sounds like you don't want to be in.
4: Well, you know... as we said before, we, we've, we've had this, this policy in place that HUD has acknowledged the presence of these, these individuals on our property but not providing subsidy to them. These families are actually paying higher, higher rents, uh, more money out of their pocket to be able to live there but the benefit being that it allows the families to, to stay together as a unit and to have that stability. And so when, when we have a proposed rule that can undercut all of that and undercut a lot of what our core mission is, yeah, it does put us in a difficult spot.
1: Can you explain what the law is currently?
4: So basically what happens is if we have a family that's of mixed status, where there's individuals, a certain number of individuals in the family that do not have legal, legal presence, whatever portion of the family does not have that legal presence, they don't receive that portion of subsidy. And essentially the family ends up paying that subsidy out of their own pocket. So if a family would have received $200 a subsidy, they would receive less than that and would have to make up that difference out of their own pocket. And in that way, uh, federal money is not going to those individuals. It is only going to support those who have either citizenship or legal status in the country.
2: So let me understand, practically speaking, what we're talking about here. There's You house, you said, about 19000 people, and you're sort of the housing provider of last resort, um, are a large portion of these 19,000 people, do they fall in the category of undocumented people, or are we talking about a, a relatively small number of folks? And give us some idea.
4: I'd say we're looking at about 5% or less of our of our families would be impacted by this, um, a little bit more so on the public housing program than in the Housing Choice Voucher program.
3: But that's unique to our program, John. I think the um, numbers would be much greater if you were looking at Houston or El Paso, certainly down the Lower Rio Grande Valley. Um, you know, most of our uh, undocumented folks are coming from Central America. They have been compliant with the program up until till this point. Um, you know, our our sense is that to go and you know now to you know having lived you know in our properties for you know, many years, um, while admittedly receiving a benefit. Um, you know the, the the breaking up of families is just um, you know, it's just tragic. Um, it's one thing to say prospectively, um, you know we're not going to allow this program to be used any longer by by um, uh, you know folks who uh, are not in proper status. Uh, but to go and apply it retroactively and to force people out of their homes and to again separate or break up families um, we think is, is 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 cruel.
1: How does using the argument that there are scarce resources, that are available to house vulnerable Americans, uh, and they're they're trying to um, free up units. Is that is that really going to free up units here in Austin if if this rule is implemented? Is it really going to create an abundance of more housing?
3: I appreciate where folks might come to the feeling that um, you know we we need to provide more housing for for Americans, or for legal residents? And the answer to that is, yes, we do. But the solution to creating more housing opportunity for them is not to take away from a small number of people who for no reason other than out of of spite and cruelty uh, are are falling victims to the political firestorm we see going on in Washington, D.C. And
4: just just to add to that slightly, that... uh when you're not expanding the number of units and you're saying that there would be you know, 70 or so units that would be available, while very valuable for those families and very, very meaningful for those families, it will also be more expensive for HUD to administer to those families because as I mentioned before, the mixed families are paying a portion of their subsidy out of their own pocket. And so now uh, it will cost HUD more to house those 70 families. Not that it's not worth it, um, but we're, we're also then not expanding housing.
0: My name is Elizabeth Almanza. They know me as Liz. I work with American Gateways and I am the pro bono and communications coordinator for American Gateways. American Gateways is a nonprofit legal service provider to immigrants uh, alongside a different outreach, know your rights, uh, citizenship workshops that we also provide to the immigrant, um, immigrant community in Waco, Austin, and San Antonio.
2: Can you think of any examples of particular families that you've worked with or maybe looking back at the experience of your family um, that would make it a little clearer for folks the specific problems that occur when we make it really difficult for people to obtain decent housing that they can afford?
0: You sit there and, you know, you have mom crying. It's like, how am I going to do this? Or, okay, well, you go back and, or you don't live in the home, but we'll stay here. Then that even occurs another burden of that father, or that mother, or that, you know, splitting the family in half is going to incur a double cost of living somewhere where they're allowed, to, you know, have the availability to live and the other ones that will decide to to live under these programs that are, or that are, they're eligible for. So you're actually incurring double cost. Um, it, it's it's very difficult. Um, I've sat with families where it's it's really they're kind of they're like they're just like well just give up. Are there some that, that even individuals that were raised here, like myself? Well, no, we have a right, Dad. No, we can do this. And it's kind of like yeah, you do, but I don't. So it even causes that kind of like friction or that uneasiness within the home that just because of your status you're different.
1: You know the. The, the the rule as of right now is is just a proposed rule um but i'm sure that you know as as uh, as we've seen other proposed rules that can uh, that are pretty extreme that they have uh an impact even just by by being proposed and not adopted or implemented they have an impact on people's lives you know people live in fear can can you describe like having these rules for uh, for families like what does what is how does it impact them and um and and what do you do as american gateways to to address that
0: it It impacts them greatly because it's you're you're meeting with individuals from different cultures, different education levels um different understanding mixed families where I say like you have individuals that were raised here that they were maybe born here or they were raised here since small and they consider themselves of the united states um and then they hear these things and say, for instance, you get somebody that is explaining it to the parent, the parent's not understanding, they'll go talk to an uncle, a neighbor, um, and they're like, well, I heard this on the news, and um, well, they said we have to leave, but they don't get the proposed part, or they're not saying, well, there's nothing we can do, but they don't, they don't, they don't know, or they don't think they have the right to make a public comment on this while it's proposed, because they don't understand the process, or they don't know that, it's their, you know that there is a process in the United States about these rules and rules. Um, rules and regulations that can be passed. And um, so we we get calls like that. It's like, well, what can we do? Or sometimes some individuals don't want, even want to go to a place where we're saying, come today and we'll talk about this. Cause then they have a fear that ICE is going to find out that they're getting, they're getting answers about immigration and they're going to raid. Um, we know we've had, Here in Texas, raids um, in Austin, we've had raids in in Dallas. In the San Antonio area, we haven't known of any large raids. So sometimes they they don't even want to come out of what now they thought was a safe place, their own home, to go get information.
2: You know, I guess what I'm kind of wondering is, um, part of what this law is about is requiring everybody who applies for public housing all members of every household to go through mm-hmm. a process of screening for their legal status of residency in the country, uh, mm-hmm. and then HUD records that information in a database. Um, mm-hmm. what is what are the considerations that families are going to have about going through that process and having their legal status recorded? In a government database.
0: Well, they're they're legal; those that you could say that are not documented, undocumented individuals. Um, it's 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 scary. Uh, it's a fear. It's like, what are you going to do with this information? Uh, for instance, the the, the DACA individuals um, back a couple of years ago in September, um, when they applied for DACA, a lot of these well, all, they didn't have a status. So when When Trump canceled DACA, it was like, they know where I'm at. I turned myself in to get this benefit. Um, Now what happens to me? They're going to come after me. They're going to look for me. ISIS to be knocking on my door. They're looking at my social media. They're going to know where I'm at. Um, So that would probably be the – it it is going to be the same effect for these individuals. It's like, okay – I want to do everything I can or comply or if this is going to help or if something changes. that I'm going to, okay, here I am. Yes, I, I have no, I'm undocumented at this moment, but my wife isn't and my children aren't. But if this is going to help, some of them might be if this is going to help, okay, I'm here undocumented. But then according to this proposed rule, then that person would have to be evicted.
2: Well, Christina, after hearing um, these people who live with the problem discuss it, I keep coming back to the point that I'm just wondering if we're not creating a bigger problem here and not solving anything in this process. What do you think?
1: I think that this is a solution to a problem that doesn't necessarily exist. Yeah. And the key thing is if we wanted to create more housing as a country and really get people housed safely and decently, we would invest more and not just take housing away from families who are...
2: You know, for me, in summary, what I conclude from this is that if I were put in the position of looking a family face to, uh, eye to eye and to to make the decision about whether or not they could continue to live, a mixed-status family could continue to live in subsidized housing, I don't think there's a rational reason. There's no economic reason to do it. It's going to cost more money, and in functionally – because housing the housing budget is limited it's it's going to actually cost the housing authority more so there's going to be less housing available overall anyway i couldn't do it on a on a basis of this is going to this is an economically logical thing i can't do it on the basis of it's good public policy for the people involved the kids the the trying to keep families together I can't make a good argument that this is a wise social policy because we've invested so much in this country on the notion of trying to keep families intact and keep kids with their parents and the like. It doesn't make sense from from that standpoint. And so we're kind of left with the notion of the only thing about this is sort of an opportunity to be punitive toward people who have, Uh, families that have one or more members who are not U.S. citizens, but the rest are.
1: It would be hard for me to carry out a policy like this, and I can't, as you heard others on on the podcast so far, they agree. It would be hard for them to do this, but they would have to do it if if they're going to comply. But what I think is important to remember is that Texas has been, has had a history of oppression and violence and prejudice. It's not, it's no secret. But over, over the recent history, Texas has acknowledged that the border is somewhat porous and that, our te- that Texans around here are diverse and they come from different places. And while policy has acknowledged that and kind of been in flux, Texas has moved forward and for the sake of shared prosperity. And Texas has been prosperous. So at this point, we're ignoring this idea that we've th- this ethos of texas and deciding to do away with that and becoming cruel and that's really hurtful i think f- to to think about where we're where where we've been and where we're going
2: i just don't think you can look the look a f- mixed status family in the eyes and say we are evicting you because there's nothing to follow the because other than we're evicting you because you're a mixed status family. We're not evicting you to create more units. We're not evicting you to have a better outcome in our community. We're not evicting you for the welfare of your children or the welfare of other public housing residents because we're not creating any more units. It just doesn't pass the threshold for good public policy.
1: This is pretty much the end of our show, and and it's been a heavy show, and it's 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 kind of a hard one to do. Um, but earlier today, I turned in the paperwork to uh, to be a godmother uh, for my goddaughter Ada, and my best friend Katie is at home uh, on maternity leave with Ada, so I got to talk to her. And I'm just as we talk about all this, I'm thinking about the kind of world we're going to live in when Ada is you know my age, about thirty years old, and and I hope we leave it better. So, Ada and her mom listen to this podcast all the time, um, all the way from Seattle. And I just want to say, hey, Ada, I hope our country is doing a lot better by the time you're 30.
2: And, Ada, I hope that you come and are a Texas house or
1: someday. <laughs> all right. All right. That's our show. JT will take us out.